0: 20 is the magic number today. Hello, everybody. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with the Practical Parsha podcast, and we are back for another episode. I am so happy to be here. 20 is the number of this episode, and I really enjoy doing this podcast every week together with you. If you enjoy it as well, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomo kohn with a K at gmail.com. I love getting feedback, and perhaps if you like this podcast, you might also like my other podcasts on Perkiavos or Positive Perspectives. The links are available in the show notes or by searching the Perkiavos podcast or Positive Perspectives by Shlomo. Additionally, this week's podcast has been sponsored, Lilu Nishmas, the recent yard site of Mrs. Ellen Blyberg. Etel Hena Bas Rebushua Yeshua Heshal Shalom. May your neshama have an aliyah. May your soul be elevated in heaven. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Toldos. And just to give a quick overview of the Parsha, because there's just so much going on, the Parsha begins with the story of Rivka and Yitzchak, Rebecca and Isaac, praying for a child. Rivka is barren, and eventually, after the prayers of Yitzchak and Rivka, they are answered Rifka becomes pregnant. And the Torah tells us how there's agitation within her with the fetus. And she's confused. And the commentaries explain that every time she would pass a house of idol worship, the baby would kick. And at the same time, when she would pass a place of Torah study, the baby would kick as well. So she didn't know what to make of the child within her. And she goes to the Academy of Shein Ve'evar where they tell her that there's two nations within her. And when one nation is up, the other is down. That they cannot coexist at the same time and both be great. Rifka Rebecca bears the term and gives birth to two sons. Twins. The first son is red and hairy. Therefore, he's called Asav which is the Hebrew word for hairy. The second child is called Yaakov because when he comes out from his mother, he's grabbing on to the heel of his older brother, Asaph. And the commentaries explain the different significances to that as well. As the brothers grow older, their different personalities emerge. Asaph, the Torah tells us that Esav is a trapper, a hunter, a man of the field. Yaakov, Jacob, is a dweller of tents. And as they grow older, the brothers take different routes for their lives. That aside from being a trapper, Esav, he also is a trapper of his father. What does that mean? And Rashi points out is that he trapped his father into believing that he was righteous when he really was wicked. And Yaakov was a wholesome person someone who dwelled in tents, which means that he was not involved in the outside world, but rather he was focused on what was truly important in the study of Torah. The Parsha also tells us the story of the sale of the firstborn rights, where Esav sells his b'chor, his rights as the oldest, to his younger brother, Yaakov, for a pot of lentils. And we'll get into that a little bit later, the significance of that and what that means. The Torah also tells us of how Yitzchak, Isaac, has to move to the city of Gerar and how he digs wells and there's quarrels that break out and he has to keep digging wells until he finally finds peace. The Parsha concludes with the blessings of Isaac. Yaakov dresses up like his brother Esau to get the firstborn blessings from his father, Yitzchak, seemingly stealing the brachos from Esau. And there's much commentary onto this area in the Torah. And after doing so, he has to avoid his brother's wrath and flee from his parents' house. Now, the first thought I wanted to share with you today focuses on the firstborn right which Esau sells to Yaakov. So the Midrash relates to us that the reason why Yaakov Avinu, why Jacob was cooking a pot of lentils that day was because Avram Avinu, Abraham had died, Yitzchak was mourning for his father, and as is the custom of mourners, he was eating round foods. And therefore, to honor his father, He was making him lentil soup, which is a round food, so they should have something to eat. Asav, who had just come back from a day in the field, he was tired. He was hungry. And the commentaries explain that he killed someone that day. That's why he was tired. He was tired from killing. He sees this delicious, hot pot of lentils, and he wants it. He just wants it right now. And Yaakov realizing that this is an opportunity to, to buy the firstborn rights, to buy the firstborn rights from his brother Esav, offers Esav a deal he can't refuse. He tells him, if you sell me your firstborn rights, I'll give you this pot of lentils. And Esav asks him, what is the significance of the bukhar What, what do you do? What, what is it all about? And Yaakov tells him, it's about working in the temple, serving God, in the Besamigdash, giving sacrifices. And it's more of a spirituality. Asa, of a man of the field, a hunter, feels no connection to this. Sees no significance in the spiritual side of things. He wants his belly to be full right now. So he says, look, I'm going to die. So what? used to me is the birthright. Jacob says, swear to me as this day, he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau bread, lentil stew, and he ate and drank, got up and left. Thus, Esau spurned the birthright. And he sells it to Yaakov, and now Yaakov owns the privilege of serving in the temple in the Beis HaMikdash. So some of the questions which I have and I want to discuss with you today is that number one is, why did Esau sell the birthright? Why did it mean nothing to him? And thirdly, why does the Torah hold it against him? We see very clearly that all these three points in the Torah and the story of this selling, that it doesn't mean anything to him. And the Torah holds it against him because it says it clearly that he just, he forsake the Bechorah. So the question is, Why? There's an expression which people use, and it's been used throughout history, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. That party now, enjoy right now, because life's gonna end and that's it. You better enjoy it while it lasts, because tomorrow it's gonna be over. The meaning of this is that it's all about the now. It's about the pleasure. It's about the enjoyment. Thinking about tomorrow doesn't apply. It's about the moment. And to Esau, he represented this idea. To Esau, it was all about the pleasure of this now, this moment, and tomorrow, he didn't think about. So to him, if it was a question of having this delicious pot of soup or serving in the temple, which was in the future, the answer to that was clear. It was the now because I'm not thinking about the future. It's not important to me. What's important to me is that I'm hungry and I want to eat right now. So to Esau, the question of whether I have this lentil soup or whether I have this reward in the future of spirituality, he decided to go with the physical pleasures of right at this moment. But to Yaakov, who was focused on the service of Hashem, he he was focused on the spiritual side of things, He recognized what was truly important. He recognized that this lentil soup of right now is not something which is going to get me too far. Fine, it'll fill my belly for a few hours, but after that, it's gone. And what's truly important is the firstborn right, is the working in the temple, is that having that closeness to Hashem, having that closeness to God. And therefore, he was able to make the proper decision he was able to give up his now for something that was worth many times more in the future. And this is why the Torah criticizes Esav from the fact that he sold his Bechorah, that he sold his firstborn right. Because he should have looked at things and not at this in this superficial way. He should have recognized that it's not not all about the now. It's not all about the moment. He gave up eternity for something so trivial. And that's why the Torah has a strong wording to Asav when he sells his firstborn right. Now, how does this apply to us? How does selling the firstborn give us a lesson? And the answer to that is that we know there's always a battle between the Gashmias and the Ruchnias. We have pulls to do physical things, we have desires for physicality. We also, at the same time, we want to do what's right. We want to have a connection to Hashem. We want to be in touch with our spiritual side. The ruchnius of things, that's the spirituality. And it's always a struggle. And the question we need to ask ourselves at times is what's more important? When we have a question for ourselves, do we sleep late or do we get up to go to davening, to go to prayer services, which one wins out? When we have a question for ourselves, do we work more to make more money or do we... Work a little bit less and have more time to truly get involved in certain things that are more important. Our relationship with Hashem, our relationship with our family. And these are the questions we're always asking ourselves. I'm not saying every single time the answer to that question is that the spiritual side wins out. For sure, we have to take care of our physical needs. And we have to, you know, do we need we need to go to work. We need to take care of ourselves. But we need to keep a mindset that when there's spiritual and physical cost-benefit analysis of each decision we make, if we just look at something and we give up a mitzvah because we just don't feel like it, or we just don't feel like getting up, are we gaining a few moments of pleasure at the expense of losing eternity? And that's something we need to keep on our mind when we make decisions because we always have different obligations and decisions we need to make throughout our day, throughout our lives. And if we focus that the spiritual side of things is what's real, it's eternal, it's forever, and the physical side of things is temporary, it's very small compared to the reward of the spiritual. So there, when we have that in mind, we're able to keep focus and make the right decisions. Again, it doesn't mean that we're making the spiritual side wins out every time. But at least it gives, it gives us the clarity when we have this outlook and we have this understanding of the importance of both sides of the equation, we're able to make the correct decision. The second point which I want to bring out from this week's Parsha is something which doesn't get talked about so much all the different famous parts of this week's parsha. We have the selling of the firstborn. We have the the blessings of Isaac. But one thing which doesn't get focused on as much is the story of Yitzchak and the digging of the wells. The Torah tells us that due to a famine, Yitzchak had to uproot his family and moved to the city of Gerar, where he interacted with King Avimelech. And he said how his wife, Rivka, Rebecca, was really his sister, and Avimelech discovers that it's really his wife. And the Torah tells us how Yitzchak became tremendously wealthy in, 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 this, under the, in the kingdom of Avimelech. And the Pelishtim, who, who were the nation of Avimelech, became extremely jealous of the richness and the wealth of Yitzchak, of Isaac. Till it came to a point where the king, Avimelech, tells Yitzchak to leave the city of Gerar and settle elsewhere. The Torah tells us that Yitzchak picks up his family and moves to the valley of Gerar. Seems like it's a distant outskirts of the city. And he starts digging wells. And the commentaries explain it's the wells of Avram Avinu which the Pelishtim had stuffed up. And he redigs the wells and water comes. When water starts flowing, the shepherds of this valley come and they start quarreling with Yitzchak. And they say, this is our water. And Yitzchak, not wanting to be part of this quarrel, moves again. And he digs a second set of wells. And the second time he digs, he finds water again. And guess what happens? These shepherds come and start quarreling with him and say, the water is our water. Yitzchak, again, does not want to fight. He gets up, moves his family, And for a third time, he digs wells, finds water, and no one comes to fight with him. And the Torah tells us that he names this place Rechovot. The first place was called Asek, The second was called Sitna. And the third well was called Rechovos. And there, Yitzchak is able to have his space and no one quarrels with him about the ownership of the water. Now, the commentaries go back and forth as to the significance of the Torah telling us this whole seemingly insignificant story of Yitzchak and the wells? Why was it necessary for the Torah to tell us about these fights with these shepherds and Yitzchak and them stuffing the wells and, and moving to the next place and putting new wells? And there's many deep, Um, understandings as to why the Torah tells us and one of the commentaries explain the three different wells represent the three temples that the first two temples were destroyed which corresponds to the first two wells that Yitzchak dug and the first two temples were destroyed as well and the third temple, the third well which has not been built yet corresponds to the third well other commentaries explain that the story of the wells symbolizes Torah. That just like Torah is compared to water, so, so too when Yitzchak dug these wells, he prayed that Hashem should open up the wells of Torah to his descendants, that they should be able to understand the depths of the Torah. The Chavetz explains that this story of the wells of Yitzchak teaches us something extremely important when it comes to our attitude and success. The Chavetz Chaim tells us that when the Torah brings down this story of the wells of Yitzchak, it's teaching us that we should never give up. We should never be discouraged. You know, sometimes we start things and we face opposition. We have good intentions. We want to accomplish. And I'm not just talking about spiritual pursuits. I'm also talking about material endeavors as well. We start a business. We start something good. And things come our way. Things hold us back. The lesson of the wells of Yitzchak is to tell us to not be discouraged. To keep trying. To keep going. Yitzchak dug a well People started up with him, it, was a, it failed. Dug another well, people started up with him again, didn't work out. Finally, the third time he dug for water and he was able, he was successful. And that should be our attitude in life as well. Whether it be spiritual pursuits or material pursuits. Just because we start something and we don't see the success of what we're trying to do, we should not give up. And this is especially true when it comes to ruchnius, to our connection to Hashem, to spiritual things we want to do, to Torah, to growth in Torah, to mitzvos, that we can't give up just because we don't see that success right away. We need to keep going at it and keep going at it. And when we do that, we will, God willing, eventually see that success we so badly want. That's going to finish for today's podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Cohen with a K at gmail.com. Everyone, have a great day.